Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. My name is Deshaun. If you don't know me, I'm the associate pastor, associate pastor here at Third Street. Um, and it's a privilege to be here this morning to be bringing the word. Um, and I just got to say, first of all, I feel slightly offended just because, like, this whole section here, it's like the splash zone at SeaWorld. Everybody just, like, decided to step back. I promise I don't, I don't spit that much when I speak, but it's all good. Um, and then secondly, I have to say, um, what Corey was, was saying, what Corey was expressing in the midst of that song was, was the, 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 the sensation, was the, was the movement in my heart that I was experiencing at the same time was like, let the fatigue go. Let the, the, the agenda go. Let whatever you brought into this place, let that die and then allow the Holy Spirit to bring a praise up out of you that is supernatural. That's what I was, man. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that presence. Let's keep that moving. Let's keep that moving. Okay. Now, we have a lot to get into this morning. We have a lot to get into this morning. I am a long talker, so I will try to move through things, but stay with me, please. Uh, We're in this series called Metamorphosis. Everybody say metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. The first two weeks, Corey kind of started us off. It's a continuation of our study into the life of Peter that we've been looking at, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest apostles. Now, if you've learned anything about Peter, if you've been following along, we've learned that Peter has a tendency to speak before thinking. Peter has a tendency to be really like just in his feelings 100% of the time. Uh, And that doesn't change, by the way. That's just who he is. That's who God created him to be. So first week of the series, Corey taught us through Mark 9, where Peter is led by Jesus. Uh, Peter, Peter, uh, John, and James are led by Jesus up to a high mountain. And as they join him up there, um, Jesus reveals to them there's a transfiguration that happens. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are there together, and they get to experience essentially like the Mount Biblemore of, of holy people in their presence, and Peter is a part of that. He gets to see this holy, just like the fathers of faith in front of him. And God says to, to Peter, God says to those apostles that are there, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. If you want to know what I've been doing, if you want to know what I've been up to throughout history, listen to him. We also remember at the end of that sermon, Corey said, it all ends well. And he talked about how, you know, on the, on the Bulls team, when, when they were down to the Jazz and they thought, man, there's no way. And they said, but we got Mike. We got Mike. Michael Jordan, he's the greatest of all time. And Corey said, look, we've got Jesus on our side. Forget Michael, ja- Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson for that matter. Forget MJ, we got Jesus on our side. I'm a big fan of MJ's music, by the way. No hate to him. Then last week, last week, Corey went through Acts 9:32, where we see a pro, a, 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 an after uh, ascension Peter. And, and Peter is looking a little different than he was back when he was stumbling around trying to build a tent for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Peter looks different. He's a different person. He's healing people. He heals one person who's been bedridden for eight years. He says, get up, pick up that mat and walk in the name of Jesus. And he does. And then he goes to someone else's house who's been dead, cleaned up, prepared for burial. And he says, y'all need to get out of this place because you're distracting me with all your noise and chatter. And he says, woman, rise, get up. 
And guess what she does? Peter looks a whole lot like Jesus. And in that sermon, Corey talked about, are you invoking the authority which you have been given by Jesus if you are a believer? Are you walking in that authority? Are you really grasping what power you have within you by the Holy Spirit? Because if you're not, you are not utilizing your resources well. You're not utilizing what God's given you well. You're not speaking in those situations and circumstances and places that you're in. Man, we were given power through the Holy Spirit. You got to use it. Are you invoking that authority? Today, I get the privilege of moving us along in this series, this series about metamorphosis or transformation. And what I want to do is let's get started by just diving into the word. So everybody's got this face like he's really coming hard at us. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. God's been stirring something into me. I'm not stopping now. So I want you all to stand with me. If you have your Bibles, take your Bible with you. If you brought it, kudos. Open it up to Mark's. Or Mark's. I used to work at Mark's. Apparently that's <laughs> stayed in my system a long time. Not Mark's, but Mark. Uh, Mark 14, 27 to 31. It's up on the screen if you need it. And what I want us to do is I want us to read together through this passage. On three, one, two, three, go. the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we read your word and we're reminded of the words and teachings of your Son, our Savior Jesus. We need you desperately to change us from the people who demand our own way to people who will not rest until we see your kingdom come in every single area of our lives. Open our hearts to your love, to your rebuke, to your guidance. Help me, Lord, to step out of the way, and may the words of my mouth and the posture of my heart be acceptable unto you, God. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever been offended by something that someone close to you said? Yeah. Think on that for a minute. Look at your person sitting next to you that you came with and be like, remember that one time? See, I'm by nature a, a person who feels deeply. I'm a feeler. If you look at my personality tests, the things that we, you know, you took all these personality tests, Myers-Briggs, uh, you know, uh, Enneagram, all these things. I've tried, to, I've tried to cheat. I really have. I'm a feeler all the way. I'm a heart guy. And so I feel deeply. I, I guess that's just how I've always been. And I've wanted to be more cerebral. I've wanted to be more like, no, just think this through. Stop being so emotional but it doesn't work. That's, that's how God created me. I've matured and I've known that God created me to be that way. Matter of fact, it's, it's been a strength for me in my, in my employment, in my work. I work as a nurse. 
And as a nurse, it helps if you can relate to people. It helps if you can feel. You don't always have to. You can work in a setting in which you don't have to talk to people. That's why most guys go into critical care, because most of those people don't, they ain't talking to you. You're just, you're doing technical things. But for me, it helps. It's been a strength in my profession. But it's also been a stumbling block for me. It's also been something that kind of gets in the way. See, if my mood is off, then I may not feel like doing anything. I may not feel like doing anything. Man, I just don't, I am not feeling it. I am not feeling it today. I woke up and it was, it was gray skies outside and I just feel like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Nobody loves me. I just got to go to work and do this thing and blah, blah, blah. That's how I feel sometimes. I may not feel like doing anything. If I'm not connecting with people emotionally, relationally, I'm, I may feel like I'm off balance. That may not relate to some of you. Some of you are like, I don't care about people. So I don't know what you're talking about. Relationships, emotion, whatever. But that's me. So when I've been this way, when I've been in my feelings, and me and Jordan, my wife, get into some sort of disagreement about something silly like, say, loading the dishwasher, can I get an amen? amen. And Jordan, being a thinker primarily, and seeing how things should work, says, why are you being so sensitive? This is just how this should go. That just makes sense. Ooh, nothing gets in my feelings more like that just makes sense. What are you saying? I'm not, to me, that doesn't sound like that just makes sense. That sounds like you're an idiot. Who taught you how to do things? So my feelings get hurt. My feelings get deep in it. That's not what Jordan's actually saying. She loves me. She loves me deeply. She cares for me. She just wants me to load it right. But my feelings can be deceptive. In this passage that we just read, we see Peter is in his feelings when Jesus states a simple fact. Peter has seen Jesus do amazing things. He's seen Jesus walk on water and bring him out with him. He's seen Jesus raise a person from the dead. Are you serious? And so Jesus speaks a prophetic word saying, you all will desert me. Peter's like, no, not me. And Peter, the most argumentative disciple of all time, that, that goes to him, argues with Jesus about this prophetic word that he said. He's so passionate. And to his credit, to his credit, he is bold in his pro proclamation of his loyalty. He looks around and these 11 other disciples are sitting around. He says, even if everyone else deserts you, 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 I will never desert you. You got to be thinking these other 11 disciples like, come on, Peter, you're in your feelings again. He is completely offended at the suggestion that his loyalty could be in question. Have you ever been that offended? I can't believe you would say that about me. After all we've been through, after everything I've done, Peter says, even if everybody does that, even if, if you were to die, I will never Never, capital N-E, ever, desert you. But Jesus knows where his heart is. See, Jesus knows where your heart is. Jesus knows that in order for Peter to truly, truly love him the way he says he does, something's going to happen. Something's going to have to happen within him. Amen? Something's going to have to happen within him. Peter wants to love him fully. Peter wants to follow him completely. 
He's just not quite ready yet to give it all up. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. He wants to do I, I, I want to love you, Jesus. I'm just, just, not, just not yet. See, Peter teaches us through his experience with Jesus that strong feeling does not equal strong faith. Can everybody say that with me? Strong feeling does not equal strong faith. Peter's temptation is likely to overthrow the Roman Empire because this is what the zealots had been thinking. We want to overthrow the Roman Empire. We want to bring back the nation of Israel. We want our oppressors to become oppressed because God promised we will be restored. And so in his mind, he's thinking, this is really what Jesus is talking about. I know he's talking about all this kingdom of heaven stuff. This, our, you know, the world is not my world and it's not of this world and kingdom. But I know what he really means is Israel's coming back, y'all. We're restored. That's his temptation is his agenda. His temptation is preservation of what he thinks should happen. Jesus sees his heart. This morning, I want to come right at those temptations in your life. You say, you're coming for me. Yes, I'm coming for you. Because Jesus came for me. I, I got to come for you. Because when I was preparing for this sermon, Jesus came for me and said, what is it that's keeping you from following me completely? And so I want to ask you that same question. What is that temptation that you're holding on to? What is that thing that you're holding on to? Only you and Jesus know it. It might be doubt. It might be pride. It might be jealousy. It might be unforgiveness. It might be fear. It might be pornography. It might be materialism, it might be a critical nature, it might be addiction, or it might simply be comfort. I'm comfortable right here, God. I really don't want to be moved into some uncomfortable place. I want to be right here. This morning, we are going to let those things die along with our old identities and allow the Holy Spirit into our lives to transform us to be the person, to be the people who we were always created to be. This morning, I want you to think about that thing that is in front of your mind that haunts you, that lingers there, that accuses you, that thing that you're, God, if I could just get rid of this thing, then I could follow you fully. Put that thing right in front of your mind, and I want you to sit on that as we read through the word. We're going to keep moving. Jesus, as we move through Mark 14, he, moved, he takes Peter, James, and John up to pray in the, into the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's awaiting his betrayal. And while he's up there, he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. You ever been that grieved? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus understands what, what is about to happen to him is not pretty. It's not going to be nice. It won't be easy. And he's crushed with the anguish of thinking what is about to happen to me. And he asks these three, his boys, Peter, James, John, hey, if anybody's got my back, these three have got my back. He says, boys, I need you to stay up and I need you to pray with me. Can you do that? Yes, yes, Jesus, we'll do that. We'll pray all day, all night, all day, all night. I've been praying all day and all night. And the, yes, Jesus, we'll do that. Some of y'all didn't catch that. If you're too, yeah, never mind. I'm gonna keep moving. Jesus comes back. He's up there praying. He's talking to his father. He's asking God, God, if there's any way you can take away this cup of suffering, please do so. Please do so. But yet not my will be done, Jesus. Not my, not my will be done, Lord, but yours. 
Not my will be done, Father, but yours. He comes back and asks the boy, hey, boys. They're knocked out. They're sleeping. Gone. Snoring. A deep kind of sleep. Simon Peter, he says, are you sleeping? And then he says something here. There's going to be our first point. He says in verse 38, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The first point I have if you're writing, if you're keeping track along, is victory over temptation is found when we watch and pray. Everybody say, watch and pray. So what do I mean by watch and pray? Well, let's follow the example of Jesus. Jesus is talking to his father. He's asking for him to take away this cup of suffering if he could, but yet not my will, but your will be done. Why does he say that? He's watching because he knows that the temptation that the devil had been trying to give him was for an easy way out for salvation. When he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil came to him and said, hey, I've got an easier way for you to do this. Worship me and I'll give this to you. This whole thing you're looking for, I'm going to give it to you. It's easy. You don't have to go through this whole dying process. Jesus is alert to what the devil is up to. He says, watch and pray. It's the same phrase as we see in 1 Peter 5, 8. And it says, stay alert. Everybody say, stay alert. alert. Wake up. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil, who is prowling and he's looking for someone to devour. How are you watching in your life? What are you being alert for? What are you filling your time with? Church, what are you investing your energy, your talents into? Do you know that there are battles going on right now? Somebody say, there's a battle going on right now. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But I guarantee you there's a battle going on right now. It might be happening inside of your heart. It might be happening in the, inside of the heart of the neighbor next to you. It's in this room. I, I'm... T- Listen, there's been so much turmoil just within our church in this year. People that are part of our church, things that are happening to people, things that are happening and accusing against our church, things that are not, things that are not from God. And if you want to say that's just coincidence, then you don't have the kind of awareness about what's going on in this world. You don't have the kind of awareness about what the reality is in which we live. This is not a game. This is eternity we're talking about, people. And do you, do you think the devil is going to be happy with, oh, Third Street's doing well. We're doing this. We're expanding here. we got people coming in here. Do you think the devil's going to be like, that's really nice. I want to keep that going. I'm cool with that. No, he's going to come after us. He's going to try to divide. He's going to try to suit the seeds, just plant seeds of dissension. So if you are not watching and praying, if you are not alert, how are you going to know? Do you know that there are battles going on around you at all times? Wake up. Jesus was in the grips of temptation. He wanted a way out if possible. His flesh was like, let's get out of this. This sounds terrible. But he had been with his father and he had been praying. And so because he had been with his father and had been praying, he was prepared to face the battle. Second, second thing is, are you praying? Are you praying? It's the same point, but are you praying? Are you watching and are you praying? And what you're praying about? What, what are you really praying about? 
What's your prayer life look like? If I was a fly on the wall in your, wherever you're at, what are you praying about? Are your prayers, I don't mean any disrespect, but are your prayers lame and powerless? Or do they reflect the urgency of the gospel that we see in Jesus' prayers? Jesus shows his disciples how to fight against temptation. To go our own way, right? The temptation is always to go our own way. The temptation is always to go our own way because we push back against lordship. We push back against somebody else telling us what to do. And it's double that because we're in America. And in America, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. There's nobody's going to tell I'm American. I'm really not. I'm Kenyan, but I'm like Kenyan-American because I'm a citizen now. But nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's the temptation of everyone is for us to go our own way and not to have someone telling us how to live our lives. That's Peter's temptation. I got a simple test for you. If your prayers are more focused on what God can do for you rather than how God can transform you, then you need to rework your prayer life. If you're praying more about God, would you do this? God, could you please? God, please. Rather than God, would you change me so that I can be effective in the places where I exist? Because you understand the Holy Spirit lives within us. And so the way things change now is by the people who inhabit the Holy Spirit doing the will of God. Amen? If your prayers are more reflective of God, please do this for me rather than God change me so I can be effective. You need to rework your prayer life. And the phrase, there's a simple phrase. You guys ever heard the phrase, uh, it's the thought that counts? Have I heard that? Well, it's a thought that counts. So here's my, here's my little two cents on this. It really is, it's, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of part of what I'm talking about here, but I have to say this. Okay, if it's the thought that counts and your thoughts are corrupted by sinful influences, your thoughts are corrupted by insecurities, your thoughts are corrupted by your own agenda, your thoughts are corrupted by your own expectations, Does that thought really count? (laughs) Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The human heart is the most most deceitful of all things, the most deceptive of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad the human heart is? Are you praying for God to change you from the inside? What we were singing today, change me from the inside. Come fill my life from the inside. What are you praying about? Let's keep moving. So in this account, Jesus inevitably is betrayed by Judas. Big crowd comes in. They come. A big mob comes in to to, to take take, uh, Jesus to to stand trial. And, And guess what? All his disciples do betray him, by the way. So there's another one for Jesus. As he predicted including Peter. In this account, somebody cuts off a servant's ear. I don't know who it was. Something just tells me it was Peter. I think, I think it was Peter, right? Who's going to be that, that like in his feelings? "Ah!" That's Peter. It's got to be. 
One, one, and part of the account is there's one kid who's following Jesus at a distance, and he's wearing like a loose tunic. I don't know why they put these kinds of details in there, but I love it. He's wearing a loose tunic, which is just like a long-fitting like, like robe, and he's following from a distance, and the mob tries to grab him because he's following Jesus, and he's like, nope, he slips out of it, and he runs away naked. Like, these are the things that are detailed in Scripture. Look it up. I'm not lying. People desert Jesus, even this guy in a tunic. There could be a whole sermon on that about what are you fitted with? Are you following Jesus with a loose tunic? Are you guarded with the breastplate of righteousness? Are you holding up the shield of faith? Do you have the sword of the spirit? I'm not going there, but I could. But I could. So we see Jesus is led away to the high priest's house. He stands trial and we see Peter and it says Peter followed at a distance. In the high priest's courtyard, Peter sneaks into the courtyard incognito. Got a hood up, probably, if he had a hood. And he sneaks in. It says he goes and he warms himself by the fire. Peter comes in almost like, like an extreme introvert at a party where they don't know anybody. <laughs> like, I hope nobody talks to me. Dear God, nobody say a word to me. I really don't want to interact with your people. The introverts out there are like, yes, he gets it. He walks in incognito trying to hide. He's already denying Jesus. Catch this. Peter has already denied Jesus in his heart. Simply by looking at his actions, Peter has already denied Jesus. When the mob came to grab Jesus, guess what happened? Peter ran off and he kept his distance. He's already starting to deny him. And see, doesn't temptation work that way? It sneaks up on us. Slowly by slowly, we are tempted into doing the things we want to do and not the things of God. And so Peter is already, already stepping back simply by his proximity. He goes to the fire. He's warming himself. He has absolutely no idea that he's already denying Jesus, but he's there. In what ways are you following Jesus at a distance? In what ways are you denying him without actually saying the words? The way you're living. What ways are we doing that? What ways are you keeping the people who are around you that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are hungry for hope, who are seeking some sort of warmth out in this cold world? They need something. But you, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to make that decision. That'd be weird. In what ways are you allowing the temptations in your life, those things that I told you to put at the front of your mind? In what ways are those things keeping you from stepping further into faith? Like, ah, you know, I would, Jesus, I would follow you closer, but I've got this thing I need to get rid of. First. I got this thing that keeps getting in the way. Once I handle this, then, then I'll follow you closer. In what ways are you keeping just far enough from Jesus to have plausible deniability? Y'all didn't catch that? Let me say that again. In what ways are you following Jesus just, just far enough so that if somebody says something against Jesus, then you're like, well, I mean, I didn't really know him anyway. I, I didn't, re- nah, you know, that was, I grew up with that faith, but it's not really mine. Point number two, victory over temptation is found by being close to Jesus. Somebody say close to Jesus. What if Peter had spoken up then in the courtyard? What if Peter had put his trust in what Jesus had said and proclaimed what he knew to be true? Guys, If there was anybody who would have spoken about the things Jesus had done, anybody who could have given 
witness to the things that Jesus had done. With credibility. It was Peter. He knew these things to be true. It wasn't just he heard about them. He experienced them. And yet his faith was weakened in that moment. Peter had not been watching and praying. See, he hadn't been aware of what was going on. He was too stuck on his agenda. He had not been communing with the Father. He'd been stuck on his agenda. We're going to take over. He had not been watching and praying. He's sitting back at a safe distance looking for an escape route from following Jesus. Let's read Mark 14, 66 to 72. You don't have to stand for this one. I'll go ahead and read this. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth, but Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. He went back further away from Jesus. By his body language, he's pushing himself even further from what's going on. Jesus is inside fulfilling prophecy, preparing to die for the whole world, and Peter could have been right there next to him, but he's backing away. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, hey, this is the man. This is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're Galilean. What he's saying, what they're saying is, hey, you got to be one of them. You look just like him. Like, you look like one of those guys. What are you talking about? You don't look like us. You look like, like a Galilean. Yeah. Peter swore in his feelings. Again, I swear a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. Do you see how gradual that temptation was? Do you see how gradual temptation can be? He didn't watch and pray. He was not aware of what was happening around him, and so he wasn't praying. His prayers were not reflecting the eternal reality that was at hand, and so he wasn't ready. He disappeared when things got dangerous. He watched from a distance and made sure that he could escape if needed. And finally, he denounced what he knew to be true, had experienced, and had already promised loyalty to. I will never deny you. Never, never, never. Peter's temptation was self-preservation. What's your temptation? What's keeping you from following Jesus closely? See, we're in this series about metamorphosis. And I guess, you know, does anybody, is there, is there anybody who's an entomologist in here? Entomologist? Anybody know what an entomologist is in here? It's the study of insects, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Metamorphosis is the transformation. It's a process of transformation. Specifically to a moth or a caterpillar, which turns into a butterfly. Now, if anybody knows how this process occurs, it is nothing short of miraculous. And simply put, it is the most amazing design I have ever, I was sitting there in Starbucks and I started having tears in my eyes as I'm reading through what happens. It's silly. I know I'm in my feelings, but this is the Holy Spirit. I promise you. This is what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. 
In order for a caterpillar to become a butterfly, it has to fall apart completely. It eats. It starts out as a caterpillar. Okay, so we're going to start from the very beginning. Because I need, I need, some of y'all are like, what? why are you talking about caterpillars? Butterfly lays an egg. Egg turns into a caterpillar. Caterpillar crawls around on trees and leaves munching and just like, I'm just going to fill up. I'm going to eat as much as I can. And it is voraciously hungry. And it's eating and it's taking in as much as it can because it knows what's coming. It knows what's coming. And so it's eating so much. And then at some point, something in its mind goes, hey, you need to now turn into a butterfly. So it goes and it attaches itself to a branch. I'm going to attach myself. And then its body, its body starts to molt rapidly. It changes rapidly. Multiple times, its body is molting. It's shedding its old skin off so many times that it forms a capsule around itself called a chrysalis. And so this chrysalis, this chrysalis becomes its home. This chrysalis becomes the point at which transformation occurs. And so within this chrysalis, everybody say chrysalis. I've never been so passionate about butterflies. It's crazy. My son will be so proud. This chrysalis. This chrysalis is the point at which transformation occurs inside of this chrysalis. I'm just going to read it. The butterfly, the, the, the caterpillar has to fall apart completely. It decomposes down to its very essence, devoid of any shape or consciousness of its former self. It literally dies. It, it produces digestive enzymes, which auto-digest itself. Have you ever auto-digested yourself? That sounds really painful. I want to auto-digest food, but not myself. Within this chrysalis, the caterpillar auto-digests itself. These enzymes break it down to its very essence. It becomes a soup. Maybe y'all are, I'm glad y'all sat back because there is some stuff going out here. It, It becomes a soup. Within this soup are all the materials that are necessary for becoming a butterfly. I knew somebody would feel me, come on. Inside of this mess, inside of this decomposed soup are the ingredients for a butterfly. God had placed within that caterpillar crawling around on its chunky little legs already the ingredients to become what it was meant to be. And only once that caterpillar is melted down into nothingness do cells become triggered to now begin building the caterpillar, its wings, its thorax, its antenna, every single part put together exactly how it was meant to be. And once the process is complete, out emerges a completely different creature from the same materials. You see... Peter, and if we can be honest, we, ourselves, are like the caterpillar that just won't die. We just, auto-digestion, that sounds, sacrifice, that sounds painful. Forgiveness, no way. Healing, I don't even believe in that. And so we become this caterpillar that's just happy being chunky, walking around on leaves, munching and eating away and taking in and taking in and taking in, but never wanting to die. And until we die to ourselves, until we die to those things at the front of our minds that are keeping us from experiencing God in his fullness, then we will never be who we were meant to be in Christ. Amen? You see, Jesus is like, you need to die because the view from up here 
the view from up here, man, it's so much better than that little leaf you're sitting on. It's so much better than that branch you keep going back and forth on. You're going to run out of real estate. Come up here. This is where you were meant to be. See things in the way in which I meant you to see them. But thanks be to God, this is not where the story ends. I know I'm so over, but I, this is important. This is important. Thanks be to God, that's not where the story ends for Peter. That's not where the story ends for us. Because Peter, he was the rock of the church. After all this is said and done, Jesus is crucified. Jesus dies and he's resurrected. And he had promised that he would leave the Holy Spirit. And true to his word, there's another one for Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes. And in Acts 2, we see Peter, a, a brilliantly different person, transformed and changed in a way that's unrecognizable to who he was a few books before. In Peter, we see someone who was gathering with other disciples to do what? To pray continuously. He's leading prayer continuously. Then at his coming out party, we see, we see Peter who before was so timid and was so fixated on his own agenda. He's tempted one more time to turn back. Devil throws one more temptation at him, puts him in front of the council the same way that Jesus was put in front of the council. And instead of falling into that temptation of self-preservation, instead of going back to the things that he knew and saying, no, this is really what the kingdom is about, we see, we see Peter emerge a new creation, a transformed creature, We're going to read the last passage, Acts 4, 8 through 12, and we'll be done. I'll be out your way. Acts 4, 8 through 12, we see it transformed Peter. He's before the council. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? He just healed somebody who'd been crippled crippled beggar for a while. He's like, why are we here? Why are you questioning us? We healed someone. Do you want me, do you want to know how he was was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. If there was any mistaking how this happened, Jesus did it. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, for Jesus is the one who is referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Last point, victory over temptation is found in an active faith, not in safety. Victory over temptation is found in an act of faith, not in safety. If you want to know how to overcome that temptation that continues to plague you, don't sit back in safety. Don't sit there going, well, I'll wait until this is taken care of. No. Pray. Watch and pray. Spend your time thinking about the things of God, praying about the things of God. God, what do you, how do you want to transform me? How do you want to change this space that I'm in? How do you want to use me? Surround yourself. Get close to Jesus. Read the word of God. Be amongst other believers who are going to challenge you and push you in your faith to not be comfortable, to not be lazy, to not be complacent. Get close to Jesus and to his people. And then lastly, you got to step out in active faith. I'm not talking about a faith where you say, yeah, I know that what I'm supposed to do. And you know what? Um, 
you know, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just read a little bit more and just get a little bit, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm going to equip myself, get myself built up, and then I'll go out and I'll be prepared. No, step out into active faith. What's that thing that God has placed on your mind and the Holy Spirit has been stirring for a while? I want you to do this. I want you to talk to this person. I want you to engage with your neighbor who you may not like. And oh, by the way, is probably, you know, not the greatest person, but you know what? The Holy Spirit says, I want you to engage, step out in active faith. That's when temptation can be overcome because we're putting our faith and our trust in the one who can overcome, not in our own devices. Peter, just like Jesus before him, I'm finishing up. Peter, just like Jesus before him, he's in front of the council. He's not in the courtyard. He's not following at a distance and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with this? And if I could have the worship team come on up, we'll finish up. We'll have a, way to, uh, have a couple ways to respond to this message. What do we do with this? Dish, what do I do with this? You're telling me all these things. You're yelling at me, practically spitting on me. What am I supposed to do with this? We respond. And, and, and I, want, I want to offer three ways for you to respond. If you're struggling with doubt about faith, if you're struggling with doubt, if that temptation that I was talking about is right at the front and center of your mind and it won't let, it won't let go, I want you to first watch and pray. And you can start this today. You can start this today. Prayer does not have to wait until it's the perfect time, the perfect moment. You can start praying right now. You can start praying right now. I, I'd, I'd love it if I had some people who just started praying right now, praying against the things that are trying to hold us back from knowing him fully. You can pray with your neighbor. And lastly, you can pray with one of the, the members of the prayer team that are going to be standing up uh, around the periphery of the, of the building and then up here at the front. They'll have a red tag on. It'll say prayer team. You can pray with them. Stay close to Jesus. What I would say with that is you've got to read the word. You've got to gather with God's people. And then you need to filter the things in your life that are distractions. What are those things that are distracting you from knowing God? Maybe it's social media for a while. Cut it off for a minute. Maybe it's TV. Shut that TV off. You don't need it for a while. Maybe it's some people in your life. You need to filter some people up out of your lives. Maybe there's some people that are like, you are toxic to me. You're draining me. Right? Or you're, you're causing me to act in ways that are not of God. It's okay to filter people out of your lives for a season. It doesn't mean cut them off. Just filter them. Excuse me. And lastly, I want you to step out in faith to act in the eternal good of your neighbor. You understand I said eternal good. I'm not just talking about good works that are nice. I'm talking about the eternal good, that you would pray for a way to act in the eternal good of someone else. God, show me how I can represent the kingdom of God to someone today.